0: I'm on a roller coaster sailing cross
1: Live from Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Jesus comes first, and everything else is open to discussion. I'm Sean McCraney, your host. Remember, October 2nd, Friday night, if we're still here, join us from seven to nine for our thank God Jesus didn't come back and kill us party. Uh, It will be going on from seven to nine at the church studio. And if you want to be baptized, we have some baptisms, people have been wanting to be baptized, and so we're going to use that day to do it. And so show up here at the Campus Church Studios at 5 p.m. sharp, two hours before the party, and we'll, uh, we'll do the baptisms. Uh, and of course, that's if we're still here. Uh, what is the ministry all about? In fact, what have we done? What uh, do we do? And what, we, what will we continue to do? First, we've examined historical Mormonism and as many facets of it as possible. These examinations are still available at www.hotm.tv and on YouTube to the tune of more than 400 hours of programming. Every day we're introduced to new people who benefit from these productions and I actually watched a YouTube clip of one of them, one of the first times in years the other night, and I really hated my presentation, but the information is not bad. So. Uh, Then we have examined a lot about evangelical Christianity, its culture, its history, the things that make it very sound, the things that make it untenable. There are over 100 hours of information on this topic also available at hotm.tv and YouTube. We have taught verse-by-verse through several books of the New Testament, over 500 hours of verse-by-verse teachings uh, through Matthew, John, Romans, Hebrews, James, and we are currently in Acts and in 1 Peter. 500 hours plus, uh, all available at campuschurch.tv. We've written and published three books, and we've published another, many of which we give to people who can't afford them. And if that's you, let us know. First, it was I Was a Born-Again Mormon. That is now. It has been translated into Spanish, and Seth is working on getting that up in the future. Uh, if my kingdom was of this world, then my servants would fight. Uh, where Mormonism meets Biblical Christianity face-to-face, also known as A to Z. And then we publish Shield of Faith, an excellent Christian book, especially for police officers, uh, written by Detective Brandon Peterson. All these books are available on the online bookstore at www.hotm.tv. By the way, there are six more books in the queue, two of which which could be coming out soon to add to the collection. We've underwritten a project that sets the Word of God to music, five full CDs with over 60 full sets of Bible verses uh, contained in them. They're unlike anything out there in the world in my estimation and really help put the Word of God to memory because of the music and, and the words put together. These are also available online at the bookstore. We've also underwritten the production of two short dramatic films about teenage sex. They're very artistic, meaningful, very good. They're titled Girl and Boy. And we're gearing up for the completion of the trilogy Girl, Boy, God. And uh, God, we hope to come out in 2016. Presently, Girl and Boy are also available at the online store. And we've been willing and will continue to be willing to host open challenges on doctrinal positions. You can get these at, uh, you can watch these at uh, YouTube. You can watch them on online uh, at the website and we've talked about creedal trinitarianism we've talked about brick and mortar visible church we've talked about the idea that jesus is returning in the future or not these debates are available and finally we continue to host this live call-in show every week and we refuse to shy away from any topic no matter how much it is endorsed by tradition or organized religion in addition to our return to the mormon christian discussion tonight we will be having guests throughout this year and the year to come that are we're inviting this uh, forum for any guest who has something to say, who can carry on a uh, a conversation for a period of an hour, and wants to talk about something. They want to defend Mormonism. They want to defend Protestantism. Uh, they want to do so. They want to talk. They have uh, something that that concerns them. We talked about the homosexual issues going on in the church today, and and how that may be coming forward with people. Whatever the topic, if you can cogently talk about it, present your case, and dialogue reasonably with it, we're gonna be inserting these interview shows throughout the years uh, as we go along. All that being said, at the center of everything that we do, everything, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Our desire to reach people for Him, teach people of Him, and serve people freely in His name and cause. We proclaim that Jesus, Is God with us. We proclaim that he is the only source of salvation. We proclaim that he is the author and finisher of our faith. And we are especially and particularly interested in helping to bring LDS people, if not the entire LDS institution, out of doctrinal and practical humanism and into a regenerative relationship through him, not through more religion, not through more humanism, not through more bondage, just through him. And in that vein, I want to talk about something that's very disturbing in my estimation. I received an email the other night from a friend. She had been having a conversation with a woman who attends a popular church in Utah, and she learned that they are now asking those who attend the church to become members if, if those people ever want to be included in leadership in the church. So, listen really closely. what I'm about to say. It's very important to the Mormon Christian debate. The last thing on earth exiting Latter-day Saints who are seekers of truth need, and remember that caveat, who are seekers of truth, the last thing they need is to become a member of another institution. That's the last thing these people need. Why do I say this? Because as seekers, they will soon realize that they have Jumped from the LDS frying pan and into another institution's fire where they're ma- manipulated and then they end up just being burned, toasted, crispy when it comes to God. The model of subjective, non authoritarian, relational, individualistic Christianity is without question what is needed, in my opinion, in the world, but especially here in the state of Utah. And I'm appalled that yet another church has decided to insert themselves in between Christ Jesus and the individual believer. Uh, Churches insert themselves in between God and man in a number of ways. Some of them do it through legalisms. They tell their congregants, you must dress like this. You can't see these movies. You have to go on Sundays and do this. Uh, you can't drink this or eat this. Other, uh, others put people in bondage monetarily, and they say you have to pay tithes to be right with God, or you have to support our building fund. Not we invite you to help us, but God wants you to help us. And then another way they do it is through memberships, and, uh, which often include all of the above, plus demands on doctrine and practice, Now listen, if any individual wants to belong to a religious institution as a member, they have every right. I consider congregates and pastors of such churches brothers and sisters. But I'm warning you, what this church has decided to do is as bad as what the LDS do in their memberships and holding it over their uh, congregate's heads. And In my estimation, memberships are antithetical to a faith where God has written His laws upon our individual hearts, and we individually are responsible to him for the life, the Christian life we have led. Memberships is in opposition to that. The church I am speaking about used to say in their promotional materials, we are not about religion. We are not about religion. On their online material, it says, as they describe themselves as, a revolutionary church, and they say that Jesus was the ultimate revolutionary for social and spiritual change. That's their claim online. Perhaps these attitudes were real when the church began. Perhaps, like almost all Christian church plants, they started out with really good intentions. They started out on the right foot. Uh, but I think this is what Joseph Smith did uh, too. That it doesn't mean much when we look at the finished product though, does it? So what happened with this once we're against religion church? what occurred they ignored the fact that the body is made of believers from the heart that it's subjectively understood and lived and that everything is led by the spirit and instead of promoting these things they did what almost all well-meaning religious leaders do over the course of time they made the announcement we're going to build our own building that's what they that's what started this we're going to build our own building Why and when do men do this? When do they build their own building? When they have lost the true New Testament meaning of Christianity and have allowed the world's ways and views to slip in to that that nascent, innocent beginning. I recently heard a story of a pastor in another church in the area who years ago said from the pulpit, if you ever see me pass a plate in church, you know I have fallen. The last Easter service they held, the plate was passed three times. The, uh, uh, the same pastor taught, if you ever see me riding a, mo- a motorcycle through town, you'll know that I have slipped from my ways. He now has three. Howard Hughes was once asked, what is the fastest way for a young man to make a million dollars? His response, he should start a church. I know a guy who is in a wheelchair and suffers from what's called nystagmus. He recently told me he attended a large institution where uh, it was a religious service. And while he was there, he went to get some coffee. Now, he's in a wheelchair, and he has an obvious seeing problem when you talk to him. And he asked the guy who's serving the coffee, he said, I'm on a limited income. Uh, I wondered if I could have a a cup of coffee. And the guy said, I'll do it just this once, just this once for free. Uh, Hughes was right. He was absolutely right. So this church I'm talking about made a decision, and I'm sure it was with the best intentions. Let's build our own church. The minute they made this choice, the line, we don't want religion, is, is threatened. Uh, why? Because a focus on building material churches will ultimately lead to a focus on the material side of religion. The antithesis to true Christianity, which is lived out from the heart spiritually. What do we read in Genesis? We learn the lesson all the way back in Genesis. You ready? Listen. And they said one to another, go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime they had for mortar. And they said, go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach into the heaven. And let us make a name. Let us make a name lest we be scattered abroad the face of the whole earth." The building this church chose to erect in this area cost well over a million dollars. With numbers like that coming in, burdens, fears, and the need to maintain what has been created develop. And so the church that used to live up to the bromide, were not about religion, announced that they're going to now people who attend members of their institution of its demands, of its control, of its ways of seeing things. On their website, we now read this under the headline of Final Authority for Matters of Belief and Conduct. That's the headline that's on their website. Final Authority for Matters of Belief and Conduct. Isn't that amazing enough, that title, that they actually put that on their website? Now there's a Final Authority for Matters of Belief I don't even think God has a final authority in matters of belief. He allows people to believe what they want to believe. He might punish them for it, or he might ignore them for it, or he might laugh at them for it. But I'm not even sure he has a final authority for matters of belief. But this church certainly does. And under that topic, this is what it says. Final authority for matters of belief and conduct. The statement of faith on the website, they had a statement of faith above does not exhaust the extent of our beliefs. The Bible itself, as the inspired and infallible word of God that speaks with final authority concerning truth, morality, and the proper conduct of mankind, is the sole and final source of all that we believe. For purposes of the blank church, faith, doctrine, practice, policy, and discipline, our pastors are the blank church's final interpretive authority on the Bible's meaning and application, end quote. No religion, that is the the definition of religion. That is the definition of what they've become. And it happens almost every time. If someone wants to embrace this in their lives, have at it, you're free to do it. But remember, you are responsible. You are responsible for having checked your brain in to the interpretive ideas of men knowing that God seeks those who worship him directly in spirit and in truth and does not recognize any person who places themselves in between the believer and him. And to those pastors in that institution who I would recite the words of Peter to them who says in uh, 1 Peter chapter uh, 4, I think, I exhort the elders who are among you I being also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed, I would exhort you elders, he says, feed the flock of God among you, taking the oversought not by compulsion, but willingly, nor for base financial gain, but readily, listen, nor as lording it over those allotted to you by God, not lording it over by those allotted to you by God, but becoming examples to the flock. They've made themselves examples of lords, lording over people in doctrinal interpretation now. A final note to justify my criticism. I personally have witnessed at least five couples or individuals who have exited Mormonism and gone to this church and they've later left this church. In every one of those cases, those people who have left both Mormonism and then this church in question have almost embraced atheism, nihilism, there is no God, and religion is an entire con. What was the cause? It was because they went from one man-made religious institution, Mormonism, to another, and when they realized that they had been fooled again, Many of them said no more. And that is a travesty. In an effort to keep this from happening anymore, I hope people will start saying, My rock is Jesus Christ, and leave it at that. And from now, uh, with that, let's have a moment from the Word.
0: And I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder. One of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse.
1: Okay, we've been working through the books of the New Testament to pull out scriptures that support the idea of subjective Christianity, which really favors love. And and, and so let me just there's only two in Second Thessalonians, which is where we are in our study. Second Thessalonians one three says, Quote, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith grows exceedingly and the charity of every one of you all toward each other abounds. Pretty clear what it says your charity, your love, your faith, your love, that's it. 2 Thessalonians 3, 5 says, listen to this, and the Lord direct your hearts, not the elders, not the pastors, the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. The Lord direct your hearts, the Lord, the spirit, not pastors, the Lord and his word direct your hearts. Where? Into the love of God. And he adds, into the patient waiting for Christ. That last line's interesting in this day and age. Remember, it was written to those believers at that time. And Paul tells them to let the Lord direct them into the patient waiting for Christ. Does that sound like Paul expected Christ to come within the lifetime of those people? I think it does. And so I'd say he wasn't wrong. And with that, how about a word of prayer from my brother and good friend Jed, the famous Jed. Jed. Come on up, Jedster.
0: Almighty God of creation, good evening, Daddy. Thank you for being here with us tonight, with all the other believers, wherever they may be. Open their hearts, open their ears. We're here to understand more of you and to love you more. In your son's name,
1: Jesus, amen. Amen. Thank you, Jedediah. On December 23rd, 1805, Joseph Smith Jr. was born into a world that was for him filled with poverty and religious fervor, folk magic, and division, not only in the community where he lived, but also in the churches that he saw and in his own family between his mother and father. His fraternal grandfather, Assail, believed in an imminent restoration of Christ's church to the earth. His own father, Joseph Smith Sr., believed in the same thing. Why? Because from what they and many, many others around them at the time could see, the Catholics were absolutely steeped in man-made tradition, and the results of the Protestant Reformation were full of chaos, infighting, and ugly divisions. All between men who are supposed to love God. Prior to Joseph Smith, Jr. and his efforts to reform or restore, I should say, the proper church and get rid of the chaos around him, there lived another man ahead of him named Alexander Campbell. Born in September of 1788, 17 years before Joseph Smith, Jr., Campbell was a Scotch immigrant and a pastor, ordained pastor, He was a remarkable thinker and a sold-out believer in pure Christianity that did not allow men to insert themselves into it. His life work was really to try to get people to abandon sectarianism, which is another word for denominationalism, and to live biblical Christianity without denominational ties or affiliations. or. the dominion of human beings inserting themselves into the relationship." In other words, Campbell fought against ists and isms. The term Campbellite, which was assigned to him, and the idea that he founded a church called the Church of Christ, are actually misnomers. In fact, the most renowned researcher on Alexander Campbell, one Robert Richardson, authored the memoirs of Alexander Campbell, wrote, quote, Mr. Campbell never for a moment entertained the thought of becoming the head of a party or of allowing himself to be recognized as the founder of a religious denomination. End quote. Once when Alexander Campbell was credited with founding a denomination in New Orleans newspaper, he himself wrote to the newspaper and said, quote, I have always repudiated all human heads and human names. For the people of the Lord. I love that line. I have I am not, I have nothing to do with churches that take human names and human authority and human ideas. I take the Bible, let's just go from there. He goes on and says, I shall feel very thankful if you will correct the erroneous impression which your article may have made in this thus representing me as the founder of a religious denomination. End quote where campbell was not interested in founding a faith or denomination he was certainly interested in restoring what he felt were lost elements uh, that existed in his opinion in the original church christ established he was not alone many religious leaders had the ambition of restoring the undefiled gospel of jesus christ back to the earth and they all preceded joseph smith uh, in the united states at that time some of the names include barton stone William Miller, Lorenzo Snow, Eli, uh, excuse me, Lorenzo Dow, Elias Smith, and of course Campbell himself. Early Mormonism was so similar to Alexander Campbell's ideas on restoration that LDS historian Richard Bushman referred to Mormonism in its early years as a Campbellite sect. Now, it was, after all, first called the Church of Christ, not the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints. It was called the Church of Christ a denomination that is associated with Campbell even today, the Church of Christ. Bushman compared what Campbell said needs to be restored to the earth to what Joseph Smith later on said needed to be restored to the earth. Some of the main issues that concerned the Restorationists and later Joseph Smith, who patterned his church after them, included the claim that there should not be any paid clergy titles, or denominationalism. Can't disagree with that. That there should be harmony between science and religion. Why the heck not? Why do we have to have a fight between the two? Why can't we see how they merge or help supplement each other rather than battling? This is what Campbell uh, thought. That Jesus' restored church ought to have some real, dedicated missionary zeal. That sounds biblical, and it was one of the first things that the LDS did. They sent missionaries out. It's that missionary zeal and that there ought to be a rejection of Calvinistic theology. Those guys were smart, those Restorationists. And also, again, before Joseph Smith, they thought a church ought to be used, a church ought to use only the name of Jesus Christ in their title. Now, LDS missionaries today often use this as if this is a sign that the Mormon church is so true and act as if it's original to them. It's not. Alexander Campbell and the Restorationists were pushing this only Jesus' name, only Jesus' name. The kingdom of God was to be established in America. It's known as Zion building, was another sign of restorationism, a rejection of all Christian creeds. This would offend a lot of uh, Jason uh, Wallace, is an Orthodox Presbyterian. He said in a debate against uh, Don Preston recently, uh, study the creeds, study the early church fathers. Well, the restorationist says we got to get rid of these creeds. Why were they saying that? because they looked around, and they could see what it all had amounted to, and it wasn't very impressive, and so they said, we need to restore things back to order. They believed that there was an apostasy and a a need for reformation. They taught, and I doubt this in some ways, but there's the idea that they taught faith and works, and that Alexander Campbell was pushing that. There's argument against that, but there's there's the idea out there that he was behind it. A focus on a sequential acts of a believer lead to salvation, and not a one-moment act, but a bunch of sequential acts. There, in Restorationism, there was the idea of self-reliance, which we see through Mormonism today. The restitution of tithing, that came up big and strong there, and we see that in Mormonism today. A refocus on Sabbath day uh, observances, also there, and a retranslation of the Bible. They would say, we're not getting the right stuff from the Bible. We need to retranslate it. These were people well before, well before Joseph Smith. So in addition to all this, other general religious concerns the Restorationists had uh, were things like, should children be baptized? And what's their status if they die without water baptism? And how come miracles, which were so prevalent at the time of Jesus, aren't done anymore? And what about personal freedom? And what about people maintaining an agrarian lifestyle out in the, out in the uh, farm, which included a huge philosophy about working with your hands uh, rather than uh, being a merchandiser and just taking goods and reselling them for a profit. Uh, Anti-Masonic, anti-secret combination mentality was big with the restorationists. Obviously something Smith picked up on. And a willingness to shed blood for the betterment of the whole and Smith and Brigham Young both picked up on that idea. Again, these themes all existed in the minds of people prior to 1810 when the founder of Mormonism was only five years old. The question we might ask ourselves tonight is why was there a Restorationist movement afoot? Why was there one afoot? What was going on in Christianity in the 18th and 19th century America that caused some very intelligent and devout men to fervently desire to restore things back to this state and reject creedal Christianity and all the other stuff that was going on. What made them do it? Clearly, to men like Campbell and Stone and others who preceded Smith, there was an obvious problem with what was going on in Christianity at the time. In my opinion, and by that time, the Catholics certainly failed in reflecting Biblical Christianity and their doctrines and practice. And I would also strongly suggest that Campbell and others could clearly see that the Protestant Reformation, which had full 250 years to prove itself, was not much better. Sola Scriptura created tremendous infighting among Protestant factions, division over all manner of opinions thrived, And uncertainty over a laundry list of issues, like the ones I just mentioned, were the talk of the town. Now, in the camp of Alexander Campbell, there was this guy named Sidney Rigdon. And in many ways, Campbell was Rigdon's mentor. He taught Sidney Rigdon all about the Restorationist movement. It was Campbell who recommended that Rigdon pastor the First Baptist Church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, in 1822. Later, Rigdon left and became a traveling kind of, he went around and he preached restorationism to different congregations while working as a tanner. A number of men who would play a prominent role in early Mormonism could be found in some of Rigdon's early congregational meetings. These men included Parley P. Pratt, Isaac Morley, and Edward Partridge, all familiar names to Latter-day Saints. Pratt joined Joseph Smith's early Restorationist church, called the Church of Christ again, in September of 1830, the year Smith established it. Pratt and his wife were then sent on a mission to Ohio to reach the Indians. And while they were there, Pratt hooked up with Rigdon again, who had taught him Restorationism, and handed him a Book of Mormon. Ever zealous for the next great thing, Rigdon declared the Book of Mormon true and joined the Mormons by baptism. Being a very good orator, Rigdon then converted hundreds of people who had followed Campbell in the Campbellite Restorationist movement in the Ohio area to become Latter-day Saints. December of 1830, he traveled to New York, New York where he met Joseph Smith for the first time and who uh, officially organized his Restorationist church just eight months before. There is a lot of conjecture between Smith and Rigdon and how the two influenced each other and worked together even before the Book of Mormon. There's conjecture on that. We will get to some of that in the months and years to come but I wanted to sort of jump back into our examination of Mormonism by sort of inserting Mormonism in to where we had left off with the Protestant uh, Reformation and Calvin and Beza and all those guys and, every, and, and Erasmus and kind of look at what they did and then sort of insert the Restorationist movement now here and show this is why it came about. Now, within the body of Christ, we have all joined in, myself included, the, the, song, the choir that says Smith was just an evil, no good charlatan from the get-go who did nothing but try to rip people off. And I think that we have probably uh, mistaken some of that uh, rhetoric and, and applied it, to, mistakenly applied it to him. And I think that he, like other churches, started off with good intentions. And I think that you can see that by the content of the Book of Mormon, whether fraudulent or not, uh, still contain pretty basic evangelical Christian stuff of the 19th century. It wasn't until later that we saw him start to. Uh, make bricks and burn them hard and use slime for mortar and build up institutions and then ride around in the last days of his life as a general with a feather in his hat and call himself ordain himself the king of the world. So what I want to do starting uh, next week is to go through the theological development of Mormonism relative to what Christianity was saying at the time of the restorationist movement, what was actually going on then, what mormonism started as in that time and then what it morphed to in that certain theological place in that way we might be giving latter-day saints and their leadership i was told today by earl erskine that another apostle died so now that leaves i think three vacant in the 12 apostles so maybe they're going to bring some fresh blood in maybe there's a time for this thing to start cracking what can they do to save face but also get rid of all the non-biblical garbage that they've uh, adhered to. What they can do is go back to the stuff prior to the descent of Smith and look at what he originally started with and try to cling to that. Maybe there's hope in showing how that theological digression occurred. Maybe they can say, well, we used to teach this, Let's go back to teaching that. And then maybe the Christian church can say, let's give them a break and include them in because they do accept Christ. I know it's a long shot, but it's a, it's a starting point to begin to talk about how Christianity hasn't been perfect by any means. And we have really no right to sit there and point a finger and assign intent upon somebody when, uh, without really knowing the facts of how it was all put together. So that's what we're going to try to do. Karl Marx once famously said, History repeats itself. First is tragedy, then is farce. And in my estimation, when it comes to restoring lost truths of Jesus Christ, Mark's words could not ring more true, with tragedy being what occurred as the result of the Protestant Reformation. Now, I know a lot of good happened with the Protestant Reformation, and I know without Luther and grace and everything, we wouldn't be where we are today. But they couldn't sever ties. They couldn't cut some of the uh, formulaic traditional stuff from the Catholic Church, and it carried on through. And then the idea that we can all interpret scripture ourselves, as long as you interpret it the way your pastor is interpreting it, led to so much confusion that they made a mistake there. So in my estimation, the tragedy of history in religion was with the Protestant Reformation. The farce of it was the Restorationist movement because they too have all turned into their own brick and mortar institutions, none of them glomming onto the idea of, why don't we preach Jesus? Why don't we seek for truth together? Why don't we try to understand what salvation is relative to who Jesus is, and let each other face God uh, the way we want, the way we wanna believe. We're going to now build on this in the year to come. Let's open up the phone lines, 801-590-8413, 801-590-8413. While the operators are clearing your calls, take a look at this. All right, uh, 801-590-8413, I have an email from Jeff D. For the past week I've been going through a rough time. My cat passed away from cancer. She was a little over 10 years old. I used to cuddle with my cat every day. I would like to know if you think pets will be resurrected. And if, you, if there are any scriptures in the Bible that talk about it, I look forward to hearing your answer. All I can say is Revelation 5, verse 13. John, it says, uh, John says, And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all them are in them heard I saying blessed and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb of God forever and ever so there in the book of Revelation John describes every creature possible praising God so if he saw them in vision and they were praising God in these different places somehow it makes me does not make me say animals would not be in heaven There are different places where lions and different animal creatures are in heaven surrounding the throne of God, etc. So to me, it seems very reasonable that animals would certainly be uh, in heaven, uh, especially from that in Revelation. Larry S. says, a little history, I first started in a Pentecostal church over 20 years ago. I left there, can't remember why I fell away. Some years later, our Savior started to make known to me so I searched every church I could go to finally I found my way to the LDS me and my wife joined soon thereafter and you know the rest I know it's not true and think I've always known but always wanted it to be true you know that's a really interesting thing we do believe what we want to be true most of us take our pet beliefs and we say listen I love this so much I believe this to be true and it's really hard to believe in the things that are true that we don't like. And so we glom on to the things that we want to be true and even if our conscience is saying, this is not really right, there's something wrong about this, we'll continue to indulge in it because we want it to be true. He goes on, anyway, now I'm at a point where I don't go anywhere or really even read the scriptures anymore. I know that the Savior taught love God and love neighbor. I just wish I should get back to the passion I used to have for the kingdom just so tired of the teachings of man, we'd like to find some people that really love, right now your show is all I have, we live in Indiana. The road is long, the road is tough for seekers, it's tough for people who are always trying to make sure they know what is true and what is not. It's easy to settle back into culture, and to doctrine, and it's easy to let pastors and bishops and everybody make decisions for you. Uh, we, my daughters and I were talking about how Boyd K. Packer said when the Brethren Uh, have spoken, the thinking has been done. Uh, It's very easy to join a group like that and believe yourself to be right with God. But uh, I am convinced from Scripture that God wants those people who say, I want nothing but you. I'm seeking after you and you alone. And so it's a tough road. We know this by looking at everybody who came before us. We look at Christ, we look at his apostles. So try to get back in the word, my brother, and see if that helps. Let's go to Jake in Tacoma, Washington. Jake, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean, how you doing? Doing well, how are you? Good, man, hey, it's good to talk to you, finally. I've been a fan for quite a while, it's my first
2: time calling, so. Awesome. Hey, uh, I hope you can hear me okay. I'm actually truck driving right now, so if I cut out, I apologize. Uh, I wanted to offer you uh, my apology, actually. I. I feel I owe you an apology. I, I used to watch you about six, seven years ago. Um, I'm, I'm still LDS by record. And uh, I used to listen to your shows because I I enjoyed watching LDS people call in to attempt to defend the faith. And it's I hope this call can affect some of your listeners. Um, it's amazing how I've come full circle because now I watch you and, you know, as a the opposite side of the fence. I've recently uh, took your challenge, and I've decided to seek a regenerative relationship with Christ. So uh, I want awesome. to thank you for that, and apologize for uh, judging you, I suppose, back many <laughs> years ago.
1: Well, you had good reason to. So apology accepted, and, uh, and my apology extended back to you for giving you reason.
2: No, no, <laughs> no problem, man. I, I love your show. Your show's giving me hope. Um, I, I've had a lot of bad experiences with leadership um, in the church uh, I can call back another time to get into that but um, it's really uh, really been a tough thing and I, I always was falling short I never felt strong enough due to those legalistic standards they gave us and uh, it was harder man and I just finally said you know what I, I can't do it I just want to trust in Christ what he can do for me. Awesome. Has so, so it's been great. Um, this is kind of and I'm also very glad to hear you guys are going back to the the Mormon topic. I think that's awesome. Um, this is completely out of left field I wanted to ask you I'm uh planning on getting a tattoo done of uh <laughs> relative to Christ. I wanted to ask your opinion. It's understood that back in the day uh, Christ spoke Aramaic and Greek, is that correct?
1: Well, there's a debate. Uh, there's a debate, uh, and uh, 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 my friend Doug at the Calvary Chapel School of Ministry, he he says he spoke Hebrew and he can prove it, and he's out, actually written a book. So, you know, I don't know the answer to that.
2: I want your opinion. Was what's he called
1: Yeshua? Is that your opinion? Yeshua. Yeah, not Yahshua, Yeshua.
2: Okay, that helps a lot. All right, cool. And I've never read your book before, and I'm a first-time caller, so. If you want to send me one? I would gladly
1: take it. You stay on the air, Jake, and our operators will get your uh, your information. And Derek and will send one out. Awesome. Thanks,
2: brother.
1: God bless you. Hold on. Okay, this is uh, Jake. Is operators? This is a, a a really good email. I'm a Southern Baptist from Georgia. I've been meeting with two LDS missionaries for the past year. This led me to study up on LDS, and that's how I found you. I watched you on YouTube. I've watched approximately 50 uh, of your shows. Uh, Of course, you're not a traditional teacher, uh, but I always listen with great interest. My main objective is to learn how to witness to these precious LDS girls, uh, but he has three questions. If you are not a modalist or a oneness and also not a Trinitarian then what are you? Okay, a modalist, okay, really quickly, a Sabellian modalist, uh, Sabellianism taught that the father had to come down and become the son, and the son had to leave in order for the Holy Ghost to come, and so they, they could never be in the same place at one time. That's Sabellianist modalism. Other modalism says that the father uh, portray, uh, God, the father, God the father or God, he uh, manifests himself as the Son to man, and he manifests himself as the Holy Spirit to man. Okay? That, those are, that's traditional modalism. Uh, oneness teaches something very close to modalism. And the Trinitarian view is there is one God, and he's composed, if you want to put it that way, of three persons. And there's literally a father, a son, persons from eternity, and a Holy Spirit, a personage, a being, separate and distinct from each other, and together they make up one God. I am not a Trinitarian. Uh, I don't believe the Holy Spirit is a person. I don't believe Jesus was a person. I believe he's the Word of God. So the closest you're going to get with me is not Sabellianist modalism, but just I'm probably closest to being a modalist. I believe there is one God. And I believe that when you are talking to Jesus, you are talking to God. And when the Holy Spirit has filled your heart, you are being filled by God. They are all manifestations of God. Jesus being the Word of God made flesh. Do I believe Jesus is God? Absolutely. Do I believe the Holy Spirit is God? Yes. So, but it's different from, from creedal Trinitarianism because they assign that personage thing. And for me, I just have difficulty for all sorts of reasons. Uh, The second question is, the most recent program I watched was episode 462, I completely understand your line of thought concerning the New Testament having cultural guidelines that we do not follow. I also understand that you do not approve of cherry-picking doctrines listed in the New Testament while discarding others. I'm with you. But the New Testament is relevant to truth and daily living. Did I misunderstand you when you said that it was not? I took your stance to mean that it is not the strict and only guideline on how to run a church meeting. I don't believe how to run a church meeting is listed in the scripture for us today. I don't believe that's a manual for how to do church. Uh, I think that how to do church is lost since Christ came and took his church in 70 AD, and I believe that that applied to them and his church then. I believe that a church now is in the heart of believers and in those who join together by faith around the world. That is the body. That is the church. How to do church and the structure. I mean, right now we have Congregationalists, we have Episcopals, and we have uh, that other one. What is it? The Baptist led. Uh, all of them are different in how to govern church and they all read the same Bible. So I don't believe the Bible is our manual for how to do church. It was for them but not for us now. Uh, But I absolutely adore, study, cherish the Bible, all of it. Our Sunday services are geared to teaching the Bible uh, verse by verse, the best of our ability, not perfectly, the best of our ability. And I think that it is the spiritual guide. And by reading it, we are washed and we become renewed. And I think it has power. And I think that it is interpreted by the Holy Spirit and in context with what is being said. So that's my thing. The last question is, you talk about anyone who loves Jesus is a brother or sister and should be accepted. Well, that first line, let me say this. I say anybody who claims Jesus is Lord and Savior, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I am not going to go down a litmus test of where I, so I can decide if their heart really does believe in Jesus or not. If they want to make the statement, he's my Lord and Savior, I'm going to let them have that. You're okay, I, I receive you as a brother or sister in Christ. Well, what if they're a Mormon and they say Jesus was this? Well, I, I can't get into that. That's up to them and God to decide how that's gonna be fleshed out. I know what I teach, we certainly teach what the Bible says, but if a Mormon who says, I am the Lord and Savior in my life, and I believe he's the elder brother, and I believe that Satan is, hey, you wanna believe that? That's your responsibility. We'll teach the truth, you want to hear it you can hear it if you don't you want to continue that i'm going to treat you as someone who says they love christ and is a follower of christ and i'm going to let god make the difference okay so i agree with that we should love he says love is the foundation but you described on the episode before when you criticized joel osteen you even imitated him which wasn't good fun and scolded him when he defended mitt romney and there's a show is called Sean takes on Joel Osteen in a clip. Uh, have your views changed toward Joel Osteen and what he is teaching. Um, he teaches love, love, love. Are you any different? I'm assuming you are. If he teaches love, I'm not any different than Joel Osteen. Where I am different with Joel is I do believe in teaching the Bible. And I believe that the Bible is what gets into people's heads and hearts and allows them to choose on how they're going to believe. So I think it's incumbent upon us to teach the Bible. Joel, if he loves, that's his thing. He's a great Christian in God's eyes, I don't know. But if he just preaches happy messages and he doesn't share the word with people, he, in my estimation, is doing somewhat of a disservice for people who for year in and year out and year in and year out go to his services only to hear happy messages and never hear the word of God. So that's how I would stand on that. Uh, if I owe Joe Olstein an apology, he's got it. Uh, from Shelly H in Queen Creek, Arizona, thank you for God, uh, what you do. God found me and saved me from Mormonism. I met a local pastor, Dave Roberts, who gave me your book. I loved it, thanks for making it available. Uh, on the Trinity. Dear Brother Sean, after 40 years of Mormonism's false indoctrination, I'm still having a difficult time understanding the Godhead. I've searched the Bible extensively and prayed to know the truth about the issue, but I'm still not sure. The only way my feeble mind can comprehend it is by this analogy. And here is his analogy. Say you have a glass of water that is made. the glass is made of spirit you take some and pour some of that water into another glass made of flesh. Then you have some of the same water in a different manifestation of spirit. All are God, only one and true God. Does that make any sense? Am I way off base? <laughs> I said, I makes sense to me. I mean, as much sense as anything else. I mean, I don't know. That's the thing. Trinitarians, when you really start to get into it, they don't, they, that's the problem with the whole deal. So, there is one God. He's the Father of Spirits. Jesus was God in the flesh. And the Holy Spirit is God with us. That's all we can say. From Vix, Great show. Totally agree when you're talking about debate, although it's interesting, it serves no purpose. Uh... I'll keep praying for you and show that, that the show reaches many ears and hearts. Praise the Lord you keep doing what you're doing because you and I both know the difference between thinking you have Christ within you and actually being born again. I wish I could impart just a small glimpse of that difference to every Latter-day Saint. They'd be blown away. They do not need to fear the institutional teachings. They need to just pray to know Jesus and to have open hearts and be led by him. He will stand by them as they find the answer. He will hold them as they walk toward him. We have lost much in leaving the LDS Church, but we weren't alone. We did not need to hold on to that iron rod of fear and we gained so much more than we lost. Praise God. I praise God (coughs) for your letter, Vic, because abandoning Mormonism, for a walk with Jesus is a sacrifice in terms of this world and because memberships and things in religious institutions do come with rewards and I love what you said there that if you could just impart a small glimpse of the difference to every Latter-day Saint. If you talk to people who have come out of any religious confinement and into a relationship with Christ Jesus who have broken away from things they all understand that relational approach they have with God. And it's such a beautiful thing. And that's what we're trying to impart to everybody who happens to watch the show, not just the LDS, but especially the LDS. If you want to know truth, if you have those nagging doubts that are in your head and you just believe because you want them to be true, but if they're there, go to God and just tell them, listen, I want to know the truth. Show me, open my eyes, give me new ears to hear. Soften my heart. You tell me. And we've said this so many times. Don't believe in Sean McCraney. Don't believe in Earl Erskine. Don't believe in Doris Hansen. Don't believe in Sandra Tanner. Don't believe in your bishop or your stake president or your general authority or the man who calls himself a prophet. Don't believe in men. Past- don't believe- You guys out there, don't believe in your pastors. Don't believe in men. Do not put your faith in men and women. Do not put your faith in the arm of the flesh. Do not relinquish your life to people in the flesh. It's not an act of rebellion. You will submit to things, but you will not let them become an intermediary to your salvation. Go directly to God. Ask him, are you real? Are you there? If you're so real, as all these people say, show me directly. And then I challenge you to open up his word, start reading, start in John. You know, just start reading the Bible and say, God, show me. Open up my eyes. And if you want him, he'll show up. Give him a chance. That's the message. Uh, it looks like that's it. We're going to wrap it up. Five minutes to go. We don't need to go to full because we're not on airtime. We'll see you next week as we continue to talk about all things. And remember, please, uh, October 2nd, the party here, 7 to 9. If you want to be baptized, 5. And the other thing is uh, if you know of somebody who would make a good guest to talk about any issue in the religious realm and to really talk about something that's important so we can thresh through it, uh, please contact us and we'll make sure that we can uh, talk about them getting on. We'll see you next week here in Heart of the Matter.
0: I'm on the right. The dawn's waiting till a hundred monkeys know, and I can feel the light-filled monkeys start